appreciate everyone being here for the study uh, this afternoon. And um, in just a few minutes, uh, John, can I lead you, uh, ask you to lead us in prayer? So we'll do that in just a couple of minutes. Um, I've adjusted the first few slides just from a sake of time perspective, but um, uh, some of this is going to be a little bit more familiar uh, or familiar to us. So the goals of our study, just as a reminder, um, that we want to study the Bible for guidance regarding the local church and its finances. And so our aim is that we're the things that we do together here as uh, the Avon Church of Christ that are in keeping with what we see in the Bible. Um, we want to uh, maintain or preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as we read about in Ephesians 4. And then if, you know, in times where we, we don't see eye to eye, or we disagree, that we still show uh, the humility and the, the gentleness and the patience and the forbearance and, and the love and acting in, in God-honoring ways. I think it's always good to read Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we endeavor to show Christ living within us. Um, our aim is to please the king. That's what we want to do. Um, we want to, um, per 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's what we're trying to do, is to please the king. I did want us to just, as we dive into some scriptures, uh, talking about uh, the, the topic at hand on church finances, just as a reminder that... Our aim is to please him, and we, we do that by looking in the, in the scriptures, in the words, and understanding what God would have us to do. And just by reminder, just the encouragements of the apostles and the disciples, the confidence that they put in what they were writing and how they were living, that we could look to them and to their writings that are inspired by God to, uh, to pattern, to model um, our behavior, our activities, our attitudes after and you can just see the theme of, of looking to them for, for imitation, be it to, as an example to imitate, being imitators of me. Paul says that uh, a few times in 1 Corinthians. Uh, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I command you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And then in Philippians 4, 9, that we are to, be pract we are to, to take the things that we learn and understand, we are to put them into practice we were to stand firm in the, in the things that had been handed down. Uh, that was the admonition in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, to stand firm in, to, in those, to hold to the traditions. So we've got traditions that are, are God-given and, and man-created, and we need to discern those that are God-given, and we need to stand firm and hold to those. Um, you know, we, we think about, you know, we've had conversations just... Uh, you know, in the class last time, and just generally speaking around um, the, the principles that we see in Scripture, but we also see uh, some very direct commandments. Um, and one of the things I thought about is, is at work, and I think this is probably similar to what a lot of people experience, is that we have these, 
guiding principles that are supposed to inform our attitudes and our behaviors of everything that we do. So trust, integrity, um, respect. But then on the other side, there are some things that I'm expected to do that are very tactical. Um, Employee reviews, career development. Um, I've got projects I need to do certain things on. And I can't do one and not the other and expect to be successful. Um, I can't just have a good attitude and treat people with respect and be a team player, but never actually do my job. Or I can't do the wrong things and just have a good attitude and be a team player about it. On the other side, I can't also just execute my tasks, but lie, steal, and cheat along the way in order to to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, You know, appealing to the, the principles that are laid out in Scripture and also doing the things that we are encouraged by the apostles and disciples to imitate and to look to the Scriptures and the traditions that we see documented in here, they're not mutually exclusive activities is what I'm saying. And so I think what we see in 2 Timothy 1.13 is, is a model that we can, we can follow that incorporates both of these things. And so Paul encourages Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So the overarching guiding principle here or Uh, that governs behavior and attitude is faith and love in Christ. And so everything that that Timothy should be doing should exhibit faith and love in Christ. But there are also some specific things that Paul told Timothy in that letter and that Timothy was to teach others to do. So we do both. Um, Perhaps what we might find ourselves talking about in this study is more of the tactical things, but I just want us to be reminded that while we may not always say it um, explicitly, that we all understand that we are operating under this umbrella of faith and love in Christ Jesus. Any, Any thoughts or comments or questions on that before we have a prayer? All right, John, if you could lead us in prayer.
Amen. All right. Let me get caught up here on my slides. All right, one of the things that I wanted us to consider was um, understanding uh, Christ's church. And so we, we studied this a couple of years ago in the adult class. Um, so I just, I, I don't want to not do it justice, but I do intend to get through some of this a little bit close, uh, a little bit quickly. But, you know, when we think about the, the worldwide church or the universal church as it compares to uh, the local church, and I think it's important for us to consider the distinctions between them because that can inform um, the decisions that either we make collectively or the decisions that you and I each make individually in terms of um, a, a lot of different things. And so when we think about uh, Christ's worldwide church, we're talking about all in individuals of all time. Um, we see um, in Ephesians 1.18, that we as Christians are God's inheritance. And sometimes we don't think about it in, in that regard, but what does God get out of kind of this, this deal is that he gets us. Um, and, and we are to be memorials to praise God, um, to show his kindness and his wisdom, and to be praisers of God for all generations as we read in Ephesians 1 through 3. So how is it that God uh, decided that the message about him would go forth? Um, he, he uses us. We are his instrument in Ephesians 1 through 3 uh, to proclaim um, the, the glories of the Lord. Um, in Ephesians 2 and in 1 Peter 2, it's the, uh, also the idea that we are the temple of God and we are priests to God. And so in ancient times, if you wanted to learn about a God, where would you go? Well, you would go to the temple um, to learn about uh, the, the God of, of whatever you know, country you were in or, or region you were in. Where do people come to learn about the Lord? Uh, they come to the temple and the priests that are, that are you and I. That's this, we are God's gift to the world in that through our good works that we put God on display and we see that in Ephesians 2.10, and we see that in Matthew 5.16. So we are praisers of God. Um, and in Isaiah 66, it talks about God sending out a remnant to all of the nations to declare the glories of the Lord and to bring back uh, people to the Lord. Um, that's, that's our role as uh, individuals in Christ's uh, worldwide church. What we see in Ephesians 4 and Acts 2 is, in, in other places, is the local church then is God's gift to the worldwide church. That he has, uh, is, it's given to God's saved people to equip each individual for the work of ministry for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, as we see in Ephesians 4.11. So as we are out in the world doing the things as individuals that we should be to be praisers of God and to uh, declare the glory of the Lord and to bring back people to the Lord, we need encouragement and we need strengthening and we need sharpening. And we see that happening in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And so in, through the teaching, worship, fellowship, and support, um, we see that, that the local group supporting the local church. Um, so some of the activities then, as we've already talked about, and some of the passages to support that, 
that what we do as a, as a local family is we are involved in teaching and learning about the word. Uh, we uh, come together, um, as we have done today, to, to worship the Lord. Fellowship, where we encourage one another, we stimulate one another to love and good works in Hebrews 10, 24. And then the support on the bottom right, and that's really where we're going to spend most of our time today, is talking about um, uh, biblical guidance in regards to how we collect and in, in, uh, use, use the money that we collect. Um, so from a summary perspective, we've got the universal church, um, all the individuals all time to proclaim God's goodness. Uh, we are on display to the world. We are memorials. We are priests. We are the temple. We are God's gift to the world. And then this family together, um, we come together to worship, to help each other, to strengthen each other through evangelism, edification, and teaching. Uh, through benevolence, we make sure that um, needs are being met. And it's God's gift to the universal church so that we can strengthen and sharpen each other so that we can be about the work of ministry as we see the work of service in Ephesians chapter 4. Any comments or questions uh, on that? All right. So uh, one of the things uh, that I had sent out a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, is some passages to consider. Um, there are, so we're going to look at these passages. We're going to look at a couple of more um, that aren't on this list, um, but that deal with uh, the, the local church, uh, the contributions that are made, how that's done. We're just going to look at these passages, and we're going to see what observations we can make and, if there are, uh, and what conclusions we can get on how we can be pleasing to the Lord uh, in terms of uh, how we, we collect and use, use money. There are some questions that I've had highlighted here, um, you know, about how do we interpret and apply these passages, um, you know, identifying patterns that help us provide guidance, where we have authorization, where, we, where our authorization is limited, and then um, understanding applying James 1.27 and Galatians 6, 9, and 10 as particular points of question as it relates to uh, the passages above. There are some other questions um, around that we, we probably will not be able to get to today, but we have another study. Um, and so, you know, relative to can a local congregation support other institutions from the, the contribution? Um, can the local congregation have a, a building? Um, and that's actually a repeat except for that last one. Um, and so, um, you know, so the, there are actually other questions, but for the homework, I just want to let you know, we probably won't be able to get to those, those uh, last ones, and we'll try to hit the ones that are highlighted here. All right, so um, I have a very simple approach uh, to, to how we're going to, to do this. On the left-hand side, we'll read a passage. On the right-hand side, just some observations that are being made. And, and there may be observations that can be made that I haven't captured, and so definitely uh, welcome uh, any feedback on that. Um, so we see in Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47, so this is the day of Pentecost. Um, the, uh, Peter has preached uh, his first sermon, called people to be baptized. We see an, a, a response, an overwhelming response, and the activities then that the early church was engaged in here. Um, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, 
And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." So the observation I made from this passage um, is that they, when they, they brought their possessions together and they distributed it to help needy saints. Um, any other observations? All right. We can, so we're going to keep the observations on the right-hand side. If we need to come back to anything, we can do that. Uh, so Acts 4, 34 through, 40 through 37, there was not a needy among, person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here, the observation would be that in uh, a couple things that, again, we see the example where uh, needy saints were, um, were being helped by money that was brought together. We have the specific example of Barnabas. In verse 37, we see that they took the money and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And so there's going to be another uh, verse about this, but I see in here that the, the while it doesn't appear to be in a bank like our money, the collection of funds laid at the apostles' feet would be support that we can, we have the authorization to have a treasury. So who are the apostles today? And what... Guidance, what would you, what would we use? So who are the apostles of today and what um, guidance would we use from scripture to say who the apostles are and, and to translate that? Okay. So let's, let's hold on to that because I think there's other uh, passages that talk about the treasury um, that would be supportive of that. I, obviously, I don't think we have apostles today. Ryan or Chris? Yeah, I was just wondering if there's other things from that passage uh, as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And the previous passage as well, is that, a, is that also an observation from both of those passage, passages that would dictate any type of response from us? I mean, certainly I think it's with, within our ability to, to sell property and uh, give it to the local church. I don't know if that answers the question. I would think that all three passages point to um, us taking care of each other. So if I have land and my brother is starving, then maybe I should sell some of that land so that they can get back on their feet or they can be under my wing. So whether that's, I don't think it dictates that every person can't have land, but if I'm hoarding something that my brother needs, I need to give it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what we see in Acts 5, and we don't necessarily, I don't have that on the, on the uh, 
the screen here, but with Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't required to sell all of their land. Um, you know, they, they did sell some and they held back and uh, they were uh, obviously judged very, you know, strictly on kind of the misrepresentation, but Peter does make the point that while it was in your own possession, they had control of it. The expectation is that they sell everything, um, but, but definitely some integrity needs to be there. Integrity needs to be there when we give. Anne? Um, I, this is totally a question. I'm just wondering if this, the fact that selling property and land is the response in each of these passages, does that say that in that place, in that time, that's where most people's wealth was, that if they're going to help somebody, that that's the only way they can come up with money, that, you know, they don't have savings accounts and other sources of funds that we might be able to tap to help people, that the very point that that is the method that they used repeatedly makes me think that's what they had to tap in order to come up with money. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm just wondering if anybody has any insight on that, on the culture, the time. Yeah, I can, well, you guys are thinking, I can speculate in terms of that in, in combination with uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and I think a verse in 2 Corinthians 8. Um, you know, the money wasn't as liquid as perhaps we have today. And so it would take time to gather those resources so that it would be ready for, for Paul. But again, that's kind of speculation on, on my part. Yes. In Acts 2, verse 45, um, it says they were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. And then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Is all the people just the Christians, or is it everyone yeah, that's a good question. So I would understand from verse 44 that all who believed together had all things in common, that this is talking specifically about the, the believers that have responded to the gospel. Okay, so we'll, we'll keep going. These are good questions. We'll come back to the treasury one here in just a second. Um, Acts 6, so the, again, familiar uh, passage. Uh, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Permanus and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid, laid hands on them. Again, I just see another example where um, they are uh, looking out for the needy saints among them, those that have been overlooked, and uh, they are making the necessary efforts to make sure that they are taken care of. Acts 11, uh, beginning of verse 27, now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability 
to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So this is where um, an, an example where uh, disciples outside of that locality were going to be in need, and so the the saints um, uh, took up a uh, you know determined to help saints in another locality that were going to be in need because of the worldwide famine. All right, First uh, Corinthians sixteen, oh, David. There in Acts 11, it does mention that they were sending it to the elders. Uh, and so I would submit in Acts 4, the church was in its infancy. And there were, you know, the apostles were somewhat like elders today, although definitely some differences. Mm -hmm. But now by Acts 11, uh, there would be elders there. And, you know, that would be more like what we have today. Right. Thank you for catching that. All right. First Corinthians 16, uh, 1 and 2. Oh, I, was just, I was just going to say, I do believe, like David said, I do believe this is the first time elders are specifically mentioned uh, in Acts 11, verse 29 and 30. Okay. Thank you, Tommy. So in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, now concerning the collect, 1 and 2, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And so um, here we see that... Uh, the instruction to the church at Corinth was that uh, on the first day of every week, uh, they were to collect. Um, and we also see that um, this is to be helping other sa needy saints elsewhere. Um, and then also I would say that this was another example where we have uh, treasury. And so, um, and I think we can add Acts, Acts 11 to that observation as well. Yeah, so this is one passage that I, I wonder if I sometimes read with um, kind of 21st century Christian glasses because it says concerning the collection for the saints. So my question is the collection, uh, what is that? I think um, in the past I've read that and, go, and thought, oh, well, that's what we do. We meet together on Sunday and we take up a collection. Um, and then it's for the saints. Oh, and I'm the saint that, that is giving the collection. But kind of lately, I, I feel like the, the more accurate uh, in context is to see that Paul is Paul's the one that's going to be collecting the funds. Uh, so it says, when it says now concerning the collection, the collection that he's re referring to is probably when Paul's going to come and collect the funds. Um, and the saints are not the ones giving, but rather the ones that will be receiving, right? Because he's going to carry the gift to Jerusalem. And so when I, when I think of that, I feel like that's probably a, um, a better uh, perspective on how to read that, that first um, phrase there. And then I kind of wonder how that impacts the rest of the, the, the section on if, if 
if he's, this is instruction, it's kind of separate from the rest of first Corinthians. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if we're reading into it, that they were meeting on Sunday to, to take this collection, or if, uh, the collecting that he doesn't want to happen is people scrambling to try and get the money when he comes. Um, and I've, I've, um, when they store it up, um, are they doing that in a treasury, uh, or are we maybe reading that a little bit into the passage? Could it be possible that they were storing it up at home um, so that they wouldn't have to, again, scramble to collect this money in order to give it to Paul when he arrives? Um, so um, I, I kind of tend to think that in context, um, at least for me, uh, that that seems to be um, uh, a fair way of reading that passage, and you can change my mind uh, on that um, for sure. Yeah, certainly I think that the collection for the saints, um, I shouldn't say certainly, it would, uh, I would understand that it would be for the needy saints. Um, now, they are to put something aside and store it up so that there will be no uh, collecting when I come. I read that as um, on the first day of the week when they are coming together um, Per our conversation last week, to partake of the Lord's Supper is how I would understand that. That is a time for them to uh, collect uh, the funds that are going to then be given to Paul to help the needy saints. Um, so that's how I read that. Mike. So I kind of go along with Brad on this, the way that I look at this, the more that I look at it, because I see when it says on the first day of the week, each of you put something aside each of you store it up as each of you has prospered so that there be no collections when I come. And so if I read that in context and the way that it's written, if that's correct, then to me it is, um, it is a directive to me that on that first day of the week, you know, if, we, if you want to say it, that's when they came together, that's fine. But to me it's on that first day of the week. So Paul is establishing... So you don't forget, every first day of the week, you set aside as you have prospered so that when I come to collect, like Brad said, all, all the word has to, has, has to get out is that Paul's here to, to gather up the money. I've got it. I take it and I bring it to Paul. So to me, it's more of a stretch to see it as necessarily a collective thing versus more of the individual thing that I think it's directing me to do. Okay. Yeah, and and to the the first day of the week, um, I I know that we see in Acts twenty verse seven uh, that they were together on the first day of the week, and it seems like we kind of use these two passages back and forth to to say obviously they met the first day of the week. Historically, they obviously met the first day of the week, um, but also on the first day of the week is the first fruit, the, the first thing you do with your finances in that week is you set aside what you're going to give um, as, part as, uh, as, as far as the first fruits. I don't know if they got paid daily or if they got paid weekly, but um, again, depending on some of the cultural and timing of, of some of those things, setting aside on the first day of the week could be significance, not that they were gathering, because I don't necessarily see a gathering unless I pull it here, unless I go back to Acts 20 verse 7, 
Um, but it could, it could also be that this should be the first thing you do with your money. On the first day of the week, you need to set this up. Not the last day, not if you have anything left over, but do this first. Um, again, in, in this context, and maybe I'm wrong, please point it out, but I don't see that there was a gathering implied um, necessarily. It seems like it could be for sure, um, but it also possibly could not be. But uh, I'm totally open to some more thoughts on that. But I think it's reasonable to see this as a collection that is taken when they assemble and then no collections have to be made when Paul comes because the collection has already occurred. There is no scrambling to pull funds together to pass off to Paul to deliver because the collections have already been made. And that seems to be consistent with what he's asking them to do. Right. And he's asking the church at Corinth uh, to do the same thing that he's directed the churches at Galatia to do. There is an individual component um, here we, we give individually. It does seem like this is a collective type of behavior um, that is not only for the, the Corinthian church, but the Galatian church as well. Yes, even all aspects of our corporate worship have an individual component where we're all called to sing a person may make the choice to sing or not to sing. And the same, it's nothing here, even in the midst of collective worship, there are always individual responsibilities. And I don't think Paul, there's nothing in the text about Paul taking the collection. Paul wants them to take the collection so that when he gets there, there are no collections. What he's going to do is be a transporter, as 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 show, of the contribution to Jerusalem. He's just going to take it. Now, as far as meeting on the first day of the week, last time we had class, Anne made an important statement uh, that I thought that I had to acknowledge I, I kind of lost sight of at the moment. We do find examples from Scripture to meet, they met on the first day of the week. This, Acts 20, verse 7. We read of other meetings, like 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14, though it, those do not specify exactly when. But well, what you see in those cases is that you do see references to saints assembling on the first day of the week. Church history does not provide authority, but church history sometimes is a guide to are we correctly reading Scripture? Are we looking at this properly? We see some points that they say things obviously contrary to Scripture. But in other cases, in the unanimous testimony, was that they met on the first day of the week and that they worshiped. And so that is not... A big question historically. I don't have that much to say other than the fact that in a simple reading of this, not a scholarly one or anything, when I read this, it is Paul telling these people to be ready. It's a, it's a, a circumstance of readiness. 
they they automatically I I think maybe automatically is not the word but they have they have the requirement set before them. He's just telling them to be ready, so that when he gets there, he can proceed. They can proceed with what they're doing. It is fulfilled. Uh, I, I think it is both a collective. The church is going to this. He's he's talking to. I don't know how you talk to a congregation of people say one of 200 like we are, uh, for instance, without talking to 200 individual people. Uh, so sometimes we get tangled up with, is this the cooperative effort or is this the individual effort? And the answer is, well, yes. Both things come into play here. So I think uh, if we can just look at this as being ready to do this good work um, and move on with our text. We have lots of comments. So are we to assume that once Paul arrived and got this collection, they kept doing the collecting or they stopped collecting? I mean, Paul, they were to do it for Paul to come and get the money. So Yeah, my take would be that as long as there was a need, there was a collection that was taken up. Um, I wouldn't s presume that when there was no need that there was a collection still. I, I don't know if anyone else has a, a take on that or not. Sort of going off of that, I don't understand why we are so concerned with how often we're doing this or you know, if we're doing it individually or collectively. If Paul is not coming to come collect it, why do we concern ourselves so much with these details? Certainly, I think this was captured for a reason. And so just understanding what are the, what can we find out that is appealing or um, pleasing to the Lord in terms of the work that we do together is, is how I would answer that. Gary. This is the scriptural authority in verse 1 of 16 that tells us how we are to collect the money as far as the individual, the church is made up of individuals. When we come together as individuals to form the church, that's when we are the church acting as a functioning body. The laying by in store, I don't make a lot of money. So if somebody came in here today and said, we need money for this, give us what you've got. The congregation would only have as much money as we have in our pockets that, that day or whatever we're able to. But by laying by in store every week, I am able to budget and to put money in every week, which if everybody does that, you have a good store of money for Paul to collect when he comes. There is always the question, this was for a specific cause that they had. But I would argue that as long as the church is in existence, there's always going to be a need, whether they be needy widows or needing to get teaching materials together. There's, there's always going to be a need for laying by in store. For me, the, the, the discussions over the last weeks and months have, have pushed me to think more about the activity that we do 
in the nature of giving every week on the first day. And I agree with what you said. I, I think they would have continued a collection if there was a need. And I'm not disagreeing with what Gary is saying, but I think if there were no need, there wouldn't of necessity then be a collection um, because it's not the practice that we're keeping, it's the response to a need that we keep with the practice. Mm -hmm. We may not be able to envision a time where there is no need, um, but theoretically, if there were, were none, we would not need to collect. Yeah, just one other quick observation. Um, uh, again, so far, every collection that has been collected has been for individuals to receive uh, help um, in, in that regard. Uh, so, so far, all the passages are taking up money to give to individuals. Absolutely, yep. Rory up here. Yeah, thanks, Brad. What you just said, if there was ever a time when there would be no need for a collection, it could stop. That, how would that fall into our statements that people make? We're commanded on the first day of the week to lay by in the store. So would that responsibility, that command go away? Well, I mean, I think we can, you know, maybe perhaps if I've said that up here, maybe I need to be using different terms. I, I did not seem to indicate that we were commanded to give every first day of the week. What's that? Oh, and the Lord's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, what we see, what I see in 1 Corinthians 16 is this is what they did in Corinth. In Corinth. This is what Paul told all of the churches of Galatia. And so we use this as, a, as an example of something that we're going to talk about later, that is it pleasing to the Lord that we do this on the first day of the week? Um, hopefully we all can say uh, yes after that. And then if, you know, if, if you know, we, we have habits, um, and we may, sometimes, you know, maybe we use the wrong words, um, you know, I think we can be maybe thoughtful about that for the men who do that, and for the, uh, those that are the recipients of that, you know, grace in terms of, uh, you know, handling that situation. Yeah, so a couple things you might think about in this passage, too, just to see how, I don't know, direct or whatever it is. But so we've already pointed out this was a specific collection that Paul had authorized. He said to do this. He was telling the Corinthians. He said he had also directed the churches of Galatia to do this. And we saw that and we saw where he went, you know, in collecting money from them. Um, it's interesting he didn't tell the churches of Macedonia to do this. In fact, the churches of Macedonia begged him to be allowed to do this, to take part in this. So that's interesting. Um, it, as someone has pointed out, it does appear this was a specific thing. There's nothing from this passage that would indicate that it would continue after this was done. There are several things that we're inferring in this that are by inference only. I mean, you can say it's whatever, 
a natural conclusion, logical, whatever. But some of the things that I've been hearing that people are pointing out make this at least something that you could see in a different light. It does not demand that we have to, on every first day of the week, take up a collection from that passage. Oh, and one other thing, in 2 Corinthians, he goes back to this subject and is reiterating it and talking about it, telling him not to be embarrassed, you know, when I come. I don't want you guys to be embarrassed by not having this ready. Um, he never once refers to the command. He uses a few other things to tell him, yeah, this is probably what you ought to do. Look at what Jesus did for you. That's what he refers to and getting them to do it. And at one point he says in there that I'm not commanding you in uh, when he's re referring back to that. So just some things to think about on this particular passage. Yeah, so there was, um, you know, hopefully we're being clear, or I'm being clear in terms of um, not trying to use strong language in terms of the commandment. Um, th I do think this is a positive example for us, though, where Paul was um, directing the Corinthians and the churches of Galatia to do that. Um, there was a need elsewhere. They were in a position to help. Uh, we, we do know that the Macedonians were very poor. And so that might have been Paul's judgment to say, I'm not going to lay this burden upon them because they don't have the ability to participate in, in this right now. Now, um, for their participation, we, we don't know. I don't know exactly what Paul told the Macedonians um, or not on that. Um, I think I had a couple other thoughts, but um, there, were, there was just a lot there. So, um, there's a couple comments. Let me just, David and then Tommy. Uh, another area of need that I don't think we've mentioned is evangelism. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly several passages that uh, give instances of congregations supporting gospel preachers. And personally, I can't envision in my lifetime there not being a need for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I would agree that the collection should be for needs, but I think evangelism certainly falls in that category. Mm -hmm. Tommy? Well, I was just going to reiterate, you said most of it, but while this direction was given to the churches of Galatia and to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, I think in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul gives the reason why the churches of Macedonia didn't because of their, the text says, great ordeal of affliction and the abundance of joy and their deep poverty. And uh, th that word deep poverty, it is used, for example, the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2. I mean, it is a, it's, it's not even, a, as I remember, and I didn't bring my text with me today, not the usual word for poverty. But I think it was because they weren't asked to participate in this specific thing. Not that they weren't giving at that time, but weren't asked to participate in this specific thing because of their own need. And they begged, they begged for that right to participate. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, and I agree with Tommy. That's a, a beautiful passage. I appreciate him bringing that up. Um, one other question about this passage, then I promise I'm done. So it, we, we mentioned, it was mentioned that um, 
you know, if, if we have a need for Bible class materials, um, uh, whatever the case may be, um, amplifiers, whatever, um, does this passage here give us authority for buying Bible class materials, would you say? Um, and maybe just, maybe not just your thought. I don't want to put you, pin you to the yeah. wall or anything, but just, um, just kind of that, that question. Mm. When we're talking about authority and what we have authority to do, um, I kind of just want to make sure that um, I'm clear on, you know, it's like w at what point do we go, okay, here's the authority mm -hmm. for, for that. And it seems like this is authority to collect money to, to help people out. Um, is this also, also authority to buy Bible class materials and, and big screen TVs and stuff like that for, for that need? Right. And so um, this is not where I would go for that. Um, but I think we will talk about that. So if we can just defer that one until a later time, I think we'll get to it. All right. So um, obviously we have differences on how we view uh, this, you know, First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, right? Um, so let's, well, there'll be more time for discussion. Let's go ahead and continue on. Um, so 2 Corinthians 8, and I could have put all of chapter 9 as well, so <laughs> we're not going to read all of that, um, but let's just go ahead and read 8, 1 through 4. We, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to, the, to us by the, then by the will of God to us, excuse me. Um, and so again, 2 Corinthians 8 and uh, you know, these verses, 2 Corinthians 9, also talk about um, help being given to needy saints um, elsewhere. Um, Romans 15, 25, 26, um, at, Paul says at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So we see a connection here with the last passage, again, helping needy saints elsewhere, collection being made um, to, to, to give that. All right, 1 Timothy 5. And so um, a few verses here. Uh, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Then in verse 16, if, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So what I observe here in 1 Timothy 5 is that, again, we do have authorization to help needy saints, um, but there are some restrictions 
that are, are placed um, on, on, the, on widows being added to the role. And so we'll talk about that more here in just a second. But um, yeah, again, just an observation that it, um, considerations have to be made before money is given to, um, to widows. And then with this in First Timothy, in ver, down in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So um, uh, observation is that elders can be supported um, as well. David? Uh, one thing I see here, there does seem to be a distinction made between widows that the church helps and widows that individual Christians help. So I just want to point that yep. out, and that might be useful right. at some point. Absolutely. Thank you. John? And, and the idea of helping them, <clears throat> there is this phrase in, in my reading in, in verse 9, be, being put on the list. What, what does that say up there? Enrolled? Enrolled. Would be enrolled? Enrolled. So I, I don't pretend to say I exactly know what that means. To me, the implication is it, it is help in a special way, uh, maybe in a totality kind of way, uh, that might be different than just uh, what we might think of as simple help versus mm -hmm. total help is, is a possibility. I don't want to derail the discussion here, but right. I think it is interesting that, uh, that the restrictions you mentioned that David points out um, uh, exist in this situation. Right. Maybe an ongoing, a perpetual need in help, Mike? Yeah, it's interesting that John brought that up because I know there's a lot of discussion on what that really means. And some, um, some actually think that that could refer to those that are specifically and wholly devoted to serving God. And that's all that they do day and night, basically. And so um, I think there's some, probably some merit to that. Um, but yet I don't know exactly how that totally plays out. But I know that is one way to look at it, that, that these are not just your average widow, right? But these are, these are widows that say, you know what? The rest of my life, I'm going to devote it to God and in service to him. And so then they're worthy of the support. So. The, the age and past behavior of being of good reputation and so forth and, and being of service. Yeah. Yes, Roy. Personally, I, I applied it to Act 6, the widows who were fed daily is what I thought of. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't necessarily considered that connection between Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 5. Um, not a whole lot of passages on widows, so maybe I should have done that. But Leanne? This is maybe stepping back a step from the widows, but I struggle to understand why we can necessarily assume that he's speaking to the church and to us in this passage because he seems to pretty specifically later be addressing Timothy just a few verses down. So I think sometimes we take these things as commands for us in the church when I also don't take the drink a little wine for my stomach thing 
like as a church command. So I struggle to understand where that line falls. No, that's a, that's a good question. And so when, I, when we, certainly when we're talking about later on in the, in the chapter on verse 17, let the elders who rule well, I think we are dealing with a situation of a, of a local congregation. Also the widow being enrolled, being supported. I, I understand that to be the, again, the local congregation and not the individual. And I would also say that, um, you know, they're similar to, um, you know, Acts 5, where Ananias and Sapphira had money and then they gave it to the church. And when they, when they gave it to the, to the, or laid it at the apostles' feet, that was for the apostles uh, to, to manage and to deal with. While they had it in their own control, they could do what they pleased with it. And so I would not see that these restrictions on the supporting the widow would be what we do individually with our money, but what we do from a, from a collective. Um, I don't know. What's that? If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that maybe uh, may care for those who are truly widows. Again, so I think that that's some good support that we're talking about um, the collective and not the individual. Um, Mitch and then Ann. So uh, to maybe help with this a little bit, uh, in 1 Timothy 1, 3 uh, says, as I urged on my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Um, and I would maybe argue that what we see in 1 Timothy is directed to Timothy for the church at Ephesus. Um, again, in chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now, you could take that to mean collectively or individually, um, but that would be a testament to it being to the collective mm-hmm. that he was left to help the church at Ephesus. And I would, I would say, but Leanne brings up a really good point in terms of we do have letters that are written to congregations, but portions of those letters are specific to individuals in specific roles. Um, we see that a lot with husbands, wives, and children, with slaves and masters, that, um, again, this... This letter is addressed to the group, but the application would be more for an individual. So um, I think that's a, a good distinction to bring up. Anne? Well, like John, I don't know exactly what being on the list is, except that it involved the church, you know, helping some particular widows in some particular circumstances financially. And it sounds like for, for a long time, for maybe the rest of their lives. But um, I have seen this situation, I think, sometimes applied too broadly, Um, specifically when it says in verse 16, you know, that if she has relatives, then um, the church should be handling this situation. I mean, that her relatives should be handling this situation, not the church. Mm -hmm. And I have heard people, you know, apply this to maybe a widow who just has a one-time need or other people in the church who have a one-time need 
we need to make sure that they have, that we have exhausted all the family options before we can help them. And I do think that this context shows that this is a much more specific application. Even if we don't understand all the ins and outs of it, it was a very specific long-term, possibly lifetime situation that they were gonna be taking on. And that had very specific um, considerations that needed to be dealt with. And that we don't have to, I don't see any other directive in the New Testament epistles where we have to, you know, whoa, let's make sure that if we see a brother in our church family sister who has need, that we need to, you know, back off and make sure we've called all the family members, to, you know, to make sure that they can't do it before we offer them help from our collection. But I'm, yeah, also like Brad, I'm also open to <laughs> other people telling me differently, but that's the way it sounds to me. We don't have it recorded that when Christ tasked John with caring for his mother, that John said, what about the rest of your brothers and sisters? Any other thoughts? Chris? Again, there's obviously some different opinions and trying to figure out exactly where we're supposed to go with this and what to gather from it. And I think one of the things that I sometimes am looking for is just consistency in the way we look for these things. And that's what I'm finding with this. Maybe some questions here. On verse 16 that we're talking in 1 Timothy, it doesn't say if she has relatives. It says if any believing woman has relatives who are widows. So that would be very specific that only women would take care of those widows and not other relatives. If we took that, as literal, I think, as we do in some other things. Uh, some of the other passages that we are looking at, like in Acts chapter 6, and we chose the ones to serve the food. We, we make conclusions from that, like, okay, therefore we need a treasury, we need to be doing these things. Yet, I think we would balk at the idea of having a kitchen, yet there was the daily serving of food that they were assigning these people to do. So I see that just as a little bit inconsistent. One of the things I often see or hear too is how we're following the examples and the verses that you put up at the beginning about, you know, imitate us, follow our example. Well, one of those was 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and he says it twice there, um, verse 7 and verse 9 about following our example. All right, do we follow that example? Then that contradicts the other verses that you just put up about paying preachers. Because his example was, I didn't charge anyone to come and preach. And he says, I'm doing this as an example for you. So it's a little inconsistent sometimes to me to say, well, this, this is binding, this is an example. When he specifically said that was an example but we have a different conclusion. Tommy? Yes, the example that he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, and 
2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7 and 3, verse 9 is that if a brother will not work, neither let him eat. That's the illustration that he is referring to. And he shows in Philippians 4, 15 and 16, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, that he receives support from churches. The example that he's talking about and the fellowship that's going on there is, is or the problem with fellowship is that some were not working at all. And Paul says to withdraw from them and appeals to his example of working while among them. David? The New King James Version translates 1 Timothy 5.16, if any believing man or woman. Mm. I don't know what the Greek says, but I do know that particular translation has that. So we have here in 1 Timothy 5, I think we have some restrictions in terms of how we spend our, how, how we support widows. Um, particularly there's an age restriction, there's a marriage restriction, there is a uh, kind of a reputation, a works restriction here. Um, and so when we are thinking about Avon and us using our money in God-honoring ways, certainly we need to be considerate of First Timothy 5 um, in these verses in terms of the decisions that are made on how we spend our money. So let's, let's continue on. It was brought up, Philippians 5, verse 14, it was kind of you to share in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs uh, once and again. Again, what we see in Philippians 5 is that um, support was given to Paul for the purpose of evangelism. I think, David, that's to your point that you raised. I meant chapter 4. Sorry about that. Chapter 4, verses 14. I, I just put it, you know, on, on both sides of the screen here. Um, and you'll see that propagated throughout the rest of this uh, PowerPoint. Um, and then similar in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Again, we see Paul being supported uh, to uh, preach the gospel. All right. So just kind of a summary then, you know, we think about what, what do we have authority to use the contribution or in what ways can we use the contribution then that is pleasing to the Lord based on what we've read so far. And so I think it's pleasing to the Lord when we use the money that we collect to help needy saints within this group. I think that it's pleasing to the Lord when we 
understand that there's needy saints elsewhere. The floods in Southeast Texas a few years ago, we sent contribution to help those needy saints because they were in, in dire need. It's pleasing to the Lord when we support the spread of the gospel uh, for the support of elders. And we see, based on the, the slides from earlier, that this is aligned with the purpose of the, of the local church in, in terms of, of supporting one another and supporting the spread of the gospel. Any questions or comments on that? So in what ways is the church limited in using the contribution in 1 Timothy 5? Families should help first. That, that um, in, in, in 5 verses 4 and verses 8, um, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, I think that's what Tommy mentioned, is that, you know, we should be helping ourselves. Um, if a man's not going to work, uh, neither should he eat. Uh, widows should be 60 years old, have one husband, and of good reputation, 1 Timothy 5.9. And 1 Timothy 5.16, um, the local church should, maybe that's worded a little strongly, the last resort, talks about the church not being burdened. Family uh, should step in and help if they are able. Um, that opportunity should be given before the church is, is brought in to help. John? Just wanted to. Yeah, can we get a microphone over here? First of all, I want to say I agree with what you've said. It, it, it seems that we're acting in a realm of authority. We're acting in a realm of of, of God revealed will, um, uh, pleasing God when we when we behave in in these ways based upon what we're what we're told, what we're mm -hmm. uh, instructed, and. Um, and I do find it interesting, almost surprising, that there would even be perhaps a restriction on right. helping even needy saints. So again, I have, to, I have to put, for me, I have to put my think-sos, John's think-sos aside at least and look for, do I have God-given guidance in matters so that I know that I'm pleasing to him and not just... John's think so's on, on that matter because th that would surprise me uh, or it does surprise me that there mm -hmm. would be even restrictions in that regard. Right. I agree. Um, so then the question is, is do, we, do we have the authority to help non-believers or non-Christians? And so I figured this might be where we start to um, might generate some, some comments and some energy. So what I think what, we've, what, I've, what I see, the pattern in the New Testament is that the contribution is used exclusively for, for believers, for saints. Um, in Acts 11, 27 through 30, there was going to be a worldwide famine, um, and yet assistance was only uh, given to, the purpose of their assistance was for the brethren in Judea. In Acts 3, so this is sandwiched in between Acts 2, where they're collecting, uh, the, the saints are, are gathering, they're, they're, um, they're providing support for one another. Um, you can imagine the need there with everyone being in from out of town, and, and then uh, it seems like they, they stayed. And then um, in Acts um, 4 and Acts 6, there's continued need that are being 
um, supported by the brethren. The lame man is asking for money, and Peter tells him that he doesn't have any. Um, and, and then, yet yeah, it does seem that Peter has access to a lot of money or a lot of resources, let me put it that way, um, or a group of people that could provide support. So when I look at the pattern in the New Testament, Acts 11, Acts 3, um, I don't come to the conclusion that we have the authority from the collection to, be, to provide support to non-believers or, or non-saints. Josh? Yeah, I think I would maybe, if I was writing that, that last explanation, I would word it a little bit differently because I, I don't believe that Peter says, I have no money to lie to the man. He doesn't, Correct. He doesn't have any, we talked about spare change. He doesn't have any money on him at the moment, but he has something much greater that he can give him. Your point about Acts uh, 4 and 6 I think I take that well as well, that he had access to um, get funds from other people, but at least in that specific position, he was giving the lame man something that he needed more than simply funds. Yeah, he says, I have no silver and gold. Um, and I, I wouldn't use this as the, the primary argument. Um, uh, Peter has, it would seem, has access to a lot of things for what that, that gentleman is, is asking for. Similar to, well, I don't want to use that example. Um, but does he have the authority to use that, those resources that he has to help? And again, I would just appeal to the pattern of the, of the New Testament. Acts 11 is probably stronger arguments on that. Um, Gary and then Leanne. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I thought I, thought I saw your hand earlier. Leanne. I think we would all agree that we learn a lot from the character of God in the old law. Mm -hmm. um, I think we infer a lot of things because of the character we see about him in the Old Testament. And one thing we do see over and over again is him telling his people to care for the foreigners, the needy, the widows. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that I see New Testament authority for the local church to help non-saints. But I am saying that when I see the character of God throughout the entire Bible, he wants us to care and help needy of all people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly, the, the way I would say is that certainly we need to be about the business of seeing people who are in need and we need to be helping them. Um, I would say that would be an ind as individuals uh, w certainly we need to do that, and we're going to see passages where absolutely we need to be about that business. Anne? Oh, jo Gary, and then Anne, sorry. Or Lisa. In all of the verses regarding the money and the collecting and the spending of the money, it's specifically geared towards the saints. That's the way God set it up. But we as individuals can act as individuals when I first became a Christian out in California, the weather's nice, so it collects a lot of uh, less ambitious people, we'll just say. They would come in and ask for money, and our preacher would say to them, we cannot give you any money out of our treasury, but if you sit through the service, I'll announce your needs to the congregation and 
men and women as individuals can approach you and help you as they see fit. And, and to me, that was a, a great way of recognizing that there's the work that the church does, which is for the saints, and then there's the work that we can do as individuals for mm -hmm. helping those of the world. Right. And, I, you know, when I think about us being on display to show through our good works that we bring praise and glory and honor to the Lord, what, what better way than to, take to, to see people who are in need, who are vulnerable, who are disadvantaged, and to show Christ living in our lives as individuals out in the community uh, to, to bring them to the Lord? Um, Lisa. Is this the point where we get to bring up other verses we've also been considering and see what you or the group thinks? Or should I hold off for a different time? No, by all means. So truly wanting to just introduce it and see what we can learn from it, not wanting to muddy anything. So in the Gospels, when the woman uses the very costly perfume to anoint Christ and Judas is all upset about it because he was in charge of the money bag. Mm -hmm. So regardless of his heart, that was a job. That was something that they had in existence to help them as they traveled. Um, and then the question was, why wasn't that used, sold for so much money to help the poor? So my question is, is the poor in the congregations they're visiting? Is it just anyone they're coming upon um, that they're using that money in the money bag for? I've got my think-sos on that, but... Yes, ma'am? Maybe this answers that, maybe it doesn't. But when the Gentile woman comes to Jesus and asks for his help, he specifically says, I came for the Jews. And she says, but, you know, she still wanted his help and the dogs and the crumbs and all that stuff. And he helped her. Mm -hmm. So he had a definite plan. He was there to help the Jews but he still used what he had to help others, so. Yeah. Yeah. Could you explain again how Acts 3, 1 through 6 fits this point? I think I lost that. Yeah, so in Acts 2 and Acts 4, money is being collected. Um, in Acts 4, it talks about them laying specifically at the apostles' feet. Seems like Peter has access to a lot of resources in alignment with the question that the lame man is asking. He's, asked, he's begging for alms. Um, and uh, he asked to receive alms in verse three. Peter says, uh, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. It seems like e Peter's either being disingenuous in terms of he doesn't have anything, but he has access to a lot of things that could help them, help that, that man. Um, or he doesn't have... Um, he doesn't have money for him because he is not part of the saved believers at that time. Um, right. Yeah, I don't.
Yeah, he, yeah, we, we, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, you know, certainly, you know, to the poor, the, the question, I think, Lisa, that you answered, you know, uh, at, at that point, you know, Jesus is in the process of setting up his, his kingdom, congregation type assembly. We don't see that really existing until um, Acts, the second chapter. And I, I, I do think, though, that, you know, the distinction between what we do as a collective assembly versus what as individuals, certainly we need to be a people who are seeing those that are disadvantaged, that are um, vulnerable, and we should be we should be helping them. We'll probably have only time for one more question, and we are running, we're over time. Um, are we good? Okay. So, lots, oh, one more. So, I probably shouldn't ask this question, but I will. Local church should be used as a last resort. Does that put a burden um, or a responsibility, not a burden, a responsibility on the saint who is in need to seek all other sources of assistance before asking for help from the local congregation? Certainly the, the individual needs to be doing what they can to help themselves. I think the pattern that we see is that family helps as well. Um, the, probably not a good, again, like I said earlier, not, not the best way to phrase that, um, but uh, certainly not maybe the, the first option that should be considered. Um, I don't know if hierarchy There's a process uh, that we go through before we get to uh, the, the church provide, uh, stepping in and providing help. They help themselves, family, church. Okay, I think I saw, uh, yes, Debbie. And this will be the last one. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, when we were in Texas, we, I saw this and I thought it was kind of interesting. And I think some, it's the wisdom and discernment of the elders sometimes. Because um, one of the um, one of the people in at the church needed some help, and they asked individuals if they would want to help her. And I asked one of the deacons who was um, who had made that announcement why the church why the church wouldn't because she was a member of the congregation there, um, and and he just said. Um, this is how the elders chose to deal with this. And so I think sometimes it's the wisdom and discernment that God gives us to, or the, especially the elders in, in that case, to decide maybe what is the best way to go about things. Because they may know, they know a lot more of the, mm -hmm. the puzzle pictures sometimes than we do, and we don't need to know all the puzzle pictures for mm -hmm. some, some events. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, we are gonna, we're gonna close this off here. So um, shockingly, we did not get as far as that I had hoped. Um, lots to think about, lots to consider. Again, just wanna appeal to our effort um, to be pleasing to the king and to understand the scriptures as best as we can and apply them in ways that we think are God-honoring and God-pleasing ways. Um, we see, I see distinctions between uh, what we can do with our funds as a local group versus what we can do as, uh, as individuals. But I, uh, what I don't want to do is minimize the, 
what we should be doing to be praisers of God, to bring glory and honor to his name in our good works in the community. That has to, that has to happen for us to be pleasing to the Lord. We, we may not agree. We may not, you know, I may not feel that we can help uh, or understand from Scripture that we can help nonbelievers uh, with this funds. Certainly, I should be doing that in the community and, and helping. Um, and so, I hope that's loud and clear. Um, we'll talk again next week. Um, yeah, any feedback or comments or questions uh, in between now and then. I hope you feel comfortable to come to me with us. Thank you, everybody.